Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. You're locked in. Look at what we have here, folks. To the only show that matters. The cream of the crop. Duke loves wrestling. And there is no one that does it better than your host. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. The Duke. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Welcome back to Duke Loves Wrestling, the show about pro wrestling and everything else. How the heck are you, everybody? Listen, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, thank you for your amazing response to last week's episode with uh, April Hunter. You know, she was our special guest. I'll tell you, I, I just am getting so many comments and, and reposts, and it was even covered on uh, blackrabbit.com. You know, B-L-A-Q-U-E-R-A-B-B-I-T. You know, great write-up, which linked to the, the interview itself, which is pretty cool. Um, just really good response. You know, April, she's done it all, man, from Playboy to pro wrestling to having a, a Etsy shop, April's Sensations, which, you know, she sells her, her candles and, and, and soaps on there. Uh, she just got a degree in entertainment writing, so she's going to be writing movies and TV shows and stuff. So just really a, a interesting person with a story that she really hasn't told to this degree ever before, at least not you know during an interview. So this was a a major exclusive, and and judging by your response out there, I guess you appreciated it. So thanks again. On this week's episode, I'm going to be talking to my man, R. Bradley Morris. You know, he's the main person behind Royal Goblin Films. The guy that uh, brought us Valhalla Club, the story of three army veterans who became pro wrestlers as a way of coping with PTSD. So, you know, we've had Brad on before. We've had all the guys from Valhalla Club, all the producers, what have you. Bringing Brad back just to check in on how things are going now after the the major success of that project and you know to give his thoughts on a few other things including pro wrestling now brad he has a lot of experience in the entertainment industry and he's a major pro wrestling fan as well so he's able to relate a lot of information in regard to from the perspective of a producer a writer and a performer so it'll be interesting conversation we have there i can't wait to to share it with everyone but before we get to any of that stuff listen i gotta give a shout out a couple of shout outs number one uh krista b and queen pr you know those wrestling girls they have a new episode up so please you got to check them out those wrestling girls uh it's a great podcast and you know i've had both of those ladies on the show of course everyone loved it when they were on because they just Really, really sharp wrestling fans, you know, the black female wrestling fans, which is a segment of our community that I don't feel we hear enough from. And, you know, there's a million reasons for that. Is the community as welcoming as it should be to make it possible to hear enough from them? That's up for debate. Uh, but these ladies are really kicking some butt out there. They, they got a great show. So I, please, I want you to check them out. Uh, Lavelle Porter. 
you know, our, our, our guy from WrestleZone.com, who's been on the show a million times, the well-respected Lavelle Porter, he actually is the the mastermind behind BlackRabbit.com, that, that pop culture website that I keep talking about. And it's pop culture from the perspective of people from the culture. So we're talking about, you know, black and brown folk, folk who, who understand hip-hop culture and what have you. This is a more hip and a more understanding, detailed take of what pop culture means to folk who you may not even get this type of perspective all in one place. There's a lot of there's a lot of blurred, you know, black nerd culture mixed into here. There's talk comic books, pro wrestling. There's a lot of Game of Thrones stuff on there. Just a really big mix of interesting pop culture topics and you know I've been fortunate that they they started covering some of the stuff happening here on the Duke Loves Wrestling podcast so that's that's great you know make no mistake about it I mean this is a podcast from the perspective of a black wrestling fan and I cover the business from a, a, a socially conscious point of view which is why you know I talk about these topics from that perspective and I give you interviews from everybody you know people I respect and appreciate from all over the place but you know it fits into the concept of what Black Rabbit is delivering so if you like the Duke Loves Wrestling podcast chances are you're going to like that website blackrabbit.com B-L-A-Q-U-E R-A-B-B-I-T so please check them out and you know lastly WrestleNomics so, you know, you're combining the, the, the words wrestling and economics. WrestleNomics, which is a, a podcast that I just discovered, uh, Eric Bischoff, he keeps talking about it on 83 Weeks with my buddy uh, Conrad Thompson. So I listen to a lot of podcasts, folks. I, I'm always looking for inspiration. I'm always looking to keep up with what's going on. And I like to listen to people orate. Uh, I like to listen to people talk because it helps me continue to train and learn and and understand. It's like research, you know, and Eric is a pretty good storyteller and, and Conrad is great at bringing it out of people. But I noticed Eric kept making reference to this thing called WrestleNomics. So I finally checked them out. And man, what a show. What a show. They cover pro wrestling from the economical standpoint. And they really dig into financials and how certain things affect the bottom line. They really study, you know, the, the quarterly reports and the yearly reports and all that good stuff there. So, you know, great team over there. I'm going I'm to have to find out if I can get one of these guys on the show because, you know, I'm, I'm into that. And I would love to talk pro wrestling economics, especially from the perspective of WWE. Um, I think that'll be interesting. So, WrestleNomics, if you if you don't know about them before, you do now. Please check them out. It's all about love here, man. I, I, I spread the love everywhere I go. I'm not one of those people who feels you can't collaborate with others. You can't be fans of others. Why not? <clears throat> I'm not in a, uh, a vacuum here. I'm not in my own box. I... I willingly support others and I appreciate the support that I get from all of you and, and, and what have you as well. Just 
that's the way it goes. So, like I said, check those projects out, check those podcasts and websites out, and let me know what you think. You know, Duke Loves Wrestling on Twitter, Facebook, Duke Loves Wrestling at gmail.com. Hey, and share. Let me know if there are any websites, uh, any podcasts that I should check out. And it doesn't have to just be wrestling. I mean, come on. Let's be honest here. You At this point, you know I'm, I'm pretty big into uh, politics and food. Pretty big into history. You know, I just, I like to know stuff. So, whatever you got going on out there, let me know. Let's talk about it. All right? And with that said, let me go over a couple of top stories uh, in the world of professional wrestling. Starting with AEW. <laughs> They're offering a free pay-per-view style event, okay? Something called Fighter Fest. And interestingly, interestingly enough, it's going to be happening soon. I believe it's uh, June 29th is the date for Fighter Fest. So, and, and it it's an interesting play on words the way that they spell it. It's F Y T E R. That's one word, fighter and then fest, F E S T. So, yeah, that's going to be happening Saturday, June 29th. That's down in uh, at the Ocean Center in Daytona Beach, Florida. But it's going to be free. It's going to be streaming free on uh, Bleacher Report's uh, website, their, their little app that they have there. So I think it's BR Live. I think that's what it's called there. So definitely be checking that out. They encourage people to sign up for BR Live ahead of time. Don't wait until the pay-per-view is about to begin. They don't want to, you know, crash the, the, the app or the site and put you in a position where you can't see what you want to see, you know? So, but the card is kind of weird to me. I mean, let me just go over this real quick. You have uh, Michael Nakazama, Nakazawa, excuse me, versus Alex Jabali, and that's going to be a hardcore match. Now, Nakazawa is the guy who likes to oil himself up so his opponents uh, can't lock him up. He can slip out of it. So I guess that, you know, it's a hardcore match, but that'll be for entertainment purposes, really. Uh, Cody, Cody Rhodes is going to be taking on Darby Allen. So that'll just be your run-of-the-mill match there, which should be cool. You know, hopefully it'll, it'll be a good one. The Elite. So that's Kenny Omega. Matt Jackson and Nick Jackson, you know, Jackson boys there, the Young Bucks, they're going to be taking on the Lucha Brothers, so that's Pentagon Jr. and Ray Phoenix, and a mystery partner in a six-man tag, so that'll be interesting. The man formerly known as Dean Ambrose, Mr. Johnny Moxley, he's teaming up with Joey Janela. Well, he's taking on Joey, Joey Janela, excuse me, in a singles match. So you already know what that's going to be. There's going to be tables. There's going to probably be some kind of weapons because, of course, Moxley or or Ambrose, he, he can't have a traditional wrestling match. He always needs props. So whatever. Adam Page versus Jimmy Havoc versus Jungle Boy versus MJF in a four-way match. That'll be interesting. I expect MJF to win that match because he's just awesome. Christopher Daniels, the fallen angel himself, you know. You know, I saw Christopher Daniels at the first uh, Ring of Honor event there. The Era of Honor Begins is what it was called. 
He was in the main event too. Uh, Daniels is awesome. Uh, he's taking on Shima. You know, it's a guy from Japan who's been around for a while, so that'd be interesting. And then you have uh, Yuka Suzuki and Rio and Nyla Rose in a three-way match. That'll probably be the match that I'll be most interested in seeing because I know Rio is, is one of the top Japanese wrestling stars and uh, Yuka Suzuki as well. And Nyla Rose, I mean, she's she's a badass. So that'll be a fun match to watch. But once again, it's going to be on uh, June 29th. So that's a Saturday. Be easy for everybody to, to check out. But definitely download this uh, BR Live streaming service. It's going to air there for free, but looks like that's the only way you're going to be able to catch this. So check it out, please. And hey, you know, AEW is doing what they can. They're, they're giving it their best effort. You know, delivering another pay-per-view style event. And I know they have one coming up in August, which I'll, I'll talk more about in the upcoming weeks. So they're doing what they can. Hey, you got to keep delivering that content because October is a, is a while away here. That's when they're going to be debuting on TNT. So until then, how do you maintain your audience and keep them engaged? You know, so here's an example of, of how they're going to do it, which I'm all for it. Bring on the, the pay-per-view events. I'm, I'm all for it. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, Chad Gable. Chad Gable officially debuted on 205 Live. And he has a new look. This dude is all tanned up. You know, he cut his hair short. He's all muscled up, which he was always in great shape anyway. But, you know, he looks great. Chad Gable looks a little like um, Ted DiBiase Jr. to me. Maybe a little shorter. Maybe a little more cut up. But I like the look, man. I, I think I think the kid's a star. And I think the kid could one day be... You know, world champion. He, he could be. He could be the guy, because he's that talented. He, he's the, in my opinion, he could be the second coming of Kurt Angle. I think he's that talented and he's that entertaining. So, we'll see what happens. But you know, shout out to Chad Gable. You know, he turned a lot of heads with this new look he has here. Jeez, Kota Ibushi. You know, he, he suffered possible vision loss uh, due to a. a match that he had with Naito at uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling's Dominion pay-per-view. At, at one point during this match, Naito did a, a German suplex on the apron, on the ring apron, and literally dropped Kota Ibushi on the back of his head and his neck, and, and just the way he bent up, it just looked nasty. So the fact that of all the things to be the, the major injury to come out of that match... It's a, a eye that, at this point, Coda can't really see too well out of that eye. Wow. <laughs> I guess he dodged a, a, a bullet to a degree, but who the hell wants to lose vision? And is that neurological or, you know, did something else happen? I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to have to think on that. Maybe maybe I'll, I'll touch upon that in more detail to end the show uh, this week. Stay tuned. I got to. I got to think some more about that. Speaking of which, I, you know, I, I did have to think a lot about John Cena, who had an appearance on uh, Andy Cohen's show, 
on, on Bravo. You know, Andy Cohen hosts a, a, a talk show where he talks to people and they say what they say and what have you. Cena described his brother's um, being his brother being gay as a lifestyle decision. Ugh, ugh. And I know a lot of people have come to his defense saying, well, you know what he means. I don't know. I don't know what he means. I don't know what anybody means when they say that. I, I, you know, sexual orientation is something that you're born with. I don't, I don't think you can, you can't make yourself attracted to somebody. You either are or you're not. We, we just don't have the, the control over that. You know? That's why there are some people, no matter how they treat us and, 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 how great their their characteristics are, we're never going to date that person because we're just not attracted to them. And I think that goes in line with sexual orientation in general. So, for Cena to call it a choice, just, I don't know, man. That was, this guy has a lot of media training and, and you know, he has his own beliefs and things and it would be interesting if legitimately that wasn't a flub, that's just how he feels. That would be interesting. And I'll say shame on Andy Cohen for not following up and asking him because I think in, in the same sentence, Cena, Cena literally referred to his brother's homosexuality as being a choice three times, like three times in, in the same run on sentence. Like, what the hell? I don't know. I don't know. Just, you know. Some some things that seem like common sense to some are, are really not for others. So it is what it is. But stay tuned for the story on that. Jeez. Ric Flair. Ric Flair's been in the news a lot lately. He's been calling people. You know, he called out Shawn Michaels. He, he called out his former agent. She's suing him now, by the way, for some kind of, I think, defamation. Because he called her out, said she's a liar and she's stole money and He's going to expose her. She's suing him. No surprise there. Uh, but Flair was was doing an interview with Busted Open Radio where he revealed he saw an exchange on Twitter between Becky Lynch and Edge. You know, they've been going at each other a lot. Becky's trying to start a feud with Beth Phoenix. And, you know, she keeps talking trash to Edge and Edge is talking trash back to her. Well, Flair is still getting the hang of this whole social media thing, especially with Twitter. And he must have saw the exchange in his in his timeline. And he got so worked up that he called Edge and asked him, hey, is this is this for real? And Edge was like, no, no, man, no, this is part of the storyline. No, no, don't worry. And Flair was like, oh, thank God you said that because I was pissed. Can you imagine Ric Flair being upset with Becky Lynch because she's talking trash to Edge online? I mean, that that is that is literally the best thing ever. The dirtiest player in the game, the greatest pro wrestler of all time, and he had to call somebody to find out if something was real or not. That's awesome. And it's awesome that, that Flair cared that much. That just shows what kind of person he is. So, shout out to Ric Flair. He just... Don't ever stop being who you are, brother. I'm telling you. Just keep being you. <laughs> Amazing. And listen, that does it for, for uh, top stories. Because, uh, like I said, I have my man R. Bradley Morris 
on the line here. We're going to get to his interview. But let me know what you think. Do you agree with me? Do you think I'm a jerk? Maybe something in between. Head over to Facebook. Head over to Twitter. Type in Duke Loves Wrestling. Let me know what you think. All right? And hold on one second. Let me get my man Brad on the line for this exclusive interview. So, folks, if you've been listening, which, you know, many of you, of course, you, you, you've been fans of the Duke Loves Wrestling podcast since the early days three years ago, right? Anyway, the Valhalla Club, the story about Army veterans who came back home, became pro wrestlers, and they're using their experience in pro wrestling as a way to cope with PTSD. Just just an amazing, incredible story. The guy that was behind the project with his film company and, you know, he put it all together and was able to create a documentary and get it out to the to the masses, Mr. R. Bradley Morris. Listen, this guy's been on the show a couple of times, especially in the beginning, you know, when the, when the, when the film had just wrapped up and they were just shopping it around. Since then, everyone has covered it. I mean, it's been in Sports Illustrated. It's been in your local, local newspapers. It was on national cable TV. I mean, you name it, it's been everywhere. So I figured, you know what, let's get Brad back here and let's talk about what happens after the fact. After you've tasted all this massive success and, you know, what happens next. So without further ado, my man Brad, welcome back to Duke Loves Wrestling Podcast. Hey, dude, brother, how are you doing, man? Can you hear me all right? I, I can hear you just fine, you know, listen... I hope you're not fighting any cows down there in Texas there. You know, you got that, that strong ranch accent over there. I appreciate that. Hey, 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 you know, you're not uh, shy of an accent yourself either, though. <laughs> so listen, man, first of all, congratulations. You know, you were you were grinding pretty hard with this Valhalla Club project. And oh man, yeah, it, it was it was it was a uh, intense. Uh, about we shot for about six months, and we we're in post for about six months. That was a really brutal time for all of us. So, but yeah, we got through it. Now, well, well, the last time you were on the show, you were about to debut. In fact, you gave us the exclusive. You were about to debut the documentary at a, a major film festival. And, you know, that was before it, it was on streaming services and what have you. Talk to us about what's happened since then. Well, that would be um, our premiere. We had a premiere, and um, <laughs> we promoted it. So we got a lot of uh, press behind us. The press showed up to cover it because it's an interesting story. Um, we got there, and I will honestly say that uh, – when, when I took on the project, when when Jan Orstrom uh, had worked on the project, it was a project that I fell in love with. And uh, my father was a Vietnam veteran. He suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder. And it was something that I felt, you know, needed to be told. And we had the premiere. And I loved these three guys so much. I wanted this premiere to be so big. You know, I, I, I wanted it to be extraordinary. And we got there, and, you know, we got the press to cover it. And even then, I was like, well, you know, let's see what happens, man. I I, I know in my heart it's going to do well. Well, I will tell you, Duke, we broke a record at our premiere. We were the highest-grossing documentary at that theater. And mind you, this movie theater has showed, you know, Disney Nature, for example. 
in their documentary films, and we do films. So I like to brag that we beat Disney in one theater <laughs> in one place, and that's a huge accomplishment. So wow. uh, after that, we were we were on the road, man. It, 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 it's been you know it, it's been nonstop you know since then. So wait a second, you beat Disney, literally the home of Mickey Mouse. You beat them at a film festival. We we were the cats in the mouse bag down the hole. Like at that one premiere, we beat. It was just a one night thing. We grossed, especially, and it was a weeknight, mind you, as well. You know, we had a turnout. We had almost a sellout crowd, and that just you know, um, documentary filmmaking. Documentaries are very tricky. You know, everyone. You know, I know a lot of people who watch documentaries, but they usually do it from their own home. Um, when we got the opportunity to do this. Uh, we had a premiere and we were, I was, we were all extraordinarily blessed on how many people showed up to watch this. And it wasn't just friends and family. People from the community actually came out and they supported us. And we have a lot of things, you know, through a local news network to promote it and advertise us all that day and, you know, got us out there. And I know that Yon was interviewed on a couple of uh, stations. I was interviewed after the fact uh, on a couple of local news stations. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was really good and, and, and it was, it was great. So, you know, I mean, we're not making Avengers money off of it yet, but soon, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, <laughs> you can find it on, uh, Amazon, right? Isn't it, uh, on the streaming service? There? It is on Amazon Prime currently. It's called The Holocaust, the documentary. Now, here's what's crazy. So, you guys did it. You did the documentary. You went on the road to promote it. Fast forward, you know, a couple of years, and, and, and now suddenly it's on the Klepper show, the new Comedy Central uh, show that, you know, got massive, massive reviews. It, it trended on Twitter. I mean, just a huge. Oh, yeah. How does, how does something like that make you feel, especially something where, you know, I know, and we talked about this before, when you originally agreed to do the documentary, you got a lot of pushback from people close to you, and, and especially people in the industry, your industry, filmmaking. But you decided oh, yeah. to come forward and do this thing anyway. So, so talk to us about how it felt to, to see it featured on Comedy Central after that. I'm going to tell you this story. I'll try to make it really quick. Uh, the actual project started off under another production company, and uh, the that. Uh, partner that, that the business partner that I had at the time did not feel comfortable doing the film. Uh, I was told by him and by numerous other people that the project was never going to make it. Um, we didn't have a very big budget. We we had little to no money. We used that money to pay for a couple of meals and pay for gas and buy a new lens that we desperately needed for the shoots. Uh, we were going to be doing a lot of action stuff for the wrestling stuff. We needed the right lens for it. Uh, so I put together the most ragtag team that I love very much, you know, like they're still very dear friends of mine. Uh, one of them is still a business partner of mine. Um, but, you know, we, we, we did so much and so much heart went into making this project on so little. And, uh, even afterwards, I, it wasn't like I didn't, you know, seek out for more help. You know, I did. I said, well, here's what we're doing. And everyone just wanted to get paid and everyone, said, well, veterans, professional wrestling, PTSD, it, I, I just don't think anyone's going to watch it. You know, we had the premiere. Next thing you know, we had Vice Magazine. Next thing you know, we had Rolling Stone. 
I mean, we we had Sports Illustrated, and everyone's like, congratulations, congratulations. And then came Rolling Stone, and that was like the big one. You know, that was like, you know, we're all sitting there, man, Rolling Stone, wow, you know. And I got to see my movie trailer on Sports Illustrated, like on the website. It was right there, my movie trailer. You know, you clicked on it, Royal Goblin Films popped up. And it was just like great feeling. I'm not going to lie. I was like, screen. I saw the screenshot stayed on my phone, you know, of a website. <laughs> and I was like, oh, wow. And then... Next thing we know, because of Rolling Stone, uh, I get a call from Yon, the other ticket producer on the film. Um, you know, I mean, he called me up saying, so Comedy Central wants to come down and talk to us. And, you know, and of course, I you know, I know what us always means. It's always the boys, even though Yon tries so hard to always include me. He really does with his heart. But, you know, I'm a producer. I'm a director. I'm usually behind the scenes. People care about the stars. People care about the story. And... To me, that's good enough. You know, I'm, I'm just so happy that I was part of the project. And then Clipper comes out, and all I can think of, I showed up at every Clipper taping that they had. I, I was right there watching all the magic happen with much better equipment than we had. <laughs> and, I, and, and I am like, you know, like I, like I guess the only word, you know, not to sound cliche, but, uh, but I felt so blessed. You know, I was happy for the boys. The story that we told is getting so much more exposure. You know, more people's going to watch the documentary about them. More people are going to, but most importantly, more people are going to know who they are and what they went through and their struggle. That's something my dad didn't get, you know, man. Like, my dad never got that. You know, I wound up losing the studio that I co-founded with another guy over this. We established Royal Goblin Films with uh, Rhonda Burnett, who was one of the producers on this film. Um, we, you know, her and I started, you know, World Goblin Films, and we followed through with this project, a project that everyone said was never going to work. No one's going to watch this. Now, as in viewed by God, you know, I'd say a million people at least, you know, and people know their story now, at least. And this is this is a big deal, you know. I mean, uh, how they make me feel, um, it made me feel proud. It made me feel really proud. I think it's the best word that I can possibly you know, give you. I felt proud and blessed, you know, to have taken this opportunity and this chance and believed in something so much. And I, you know, I think for Jan, you know, uh, still having me on board, you know, through it all. Um, I had a conversation with him not too long ago, you know, I think them both privately and publicly. You know, I fulfilled my obligation with the documentary, but he still approaches me about future projects. And, you know, we have stuff in the works right now that I can't go into too much detail about, but, you know, uh, there's a feature film that we're working on that much I can disclose for sure. And we have other projects that we have in mind. Yeah, we're going to be uh, actually going to be starting writing on the script this week. So, because I am a writer, first and foremost, it's my true passion is writing. Um, but yeah, we're, we're, we're moving forward with other projects. I think the Holocaust become a name and we're going to become a great brand. You know, it, it's taken some years to build this brand and, I feel as though this is something that, that we have a lot to look forward to. I think mean, they have a great future ahead of them. You know, that's an interesting uh, point there, and, and you keep talking about brands. You keep using the word brand. How yes. important is branding, especially when it comes to filmmaking? Um, I'm going to group filmmaking. Uh, I'm going to change your wording just a little bit, just to understand. Just, uh, you know, allow your audience to understand what I'm going at. Let me change filmmaking to entertainment industry. 
there are workers in the in, in this industry. There's writers, there's producers, there's directors, there's podcast hosts like yourself. But there's a difference between that and establishing a brand. And a brand is not a name per se. For example, the Valhalla Club. You know, people do relate the Valhalla Club, you know, to Yon or to Bryson or to Eddie. They relate it back to me as well, even though I'm not technically a member of a Hollow Club, and I'd use air quotes for that. <laughs> but, you know, it took years to build that brand. And I live off this very firm, uh, I guess adage would be the word, uh, I live off this very firm belief that it takes two years from conception, promotion, to exposure, to build a brand. You know, you've been on the air for what? Two years, three? Three years. We just celebrated the three-year anniversary. Rock on, dude. I mean, you see, and you started off, how many listeners did you have in the very beginning? Oh, Jesus. I, I think our first episode, literally the first Duke was wrestling, maybe had 25 listeners, and maybe half of those were my mom just listening over and over again. And <laughs> <laughs> that was really good. Uh, moms are the best. Um, but yeah, brother, you see what I'm saying? You went from 25 listeners. Now, can you tell me an approximate number on what your number is now three years later? This is for your audience to know. Listen, literally three years later, it, it's, if, if we don't have at least combined, and that's audio, that's on YouTube, the whole nine yards, combined, if I'm not doing at least a half a million listens, then it wasn't a good show. You see? It took two years to build that brand with exposure and promoting and not stopping. Going into the entertainment industry in general, whether you're a musician, you know, I know a lot of bands. I'm friends with a lot of bands, and, and you know, they're like, man, I'm just not, you know, really getting getting out there. And I sit there, and they do, like, you know, one or two gigs, like, a year, and they wonder why they're not out there. <laughs> people have told me, like friends, like you do promote the Holocaust a whole lot, you know. Aren't you worried about, you know, turning away, you know, people? Um, you know, are people getting bored of it? No, I'm not worried about that at all. And if they don't like it, they can unfriend me, and I'll get somebody else on my page who will care about it. That doesn't bother me because that is part of the brand. That was a Royal Goblin film. That's something that we're really proud of. And if I stop talking about it, people are going to stop listening. People are going to stop paying attention. Because all you need to do, do, the secret is, it's not about the number of people. It's about the right number of people. And what happened with you is you have the right person listen to it, or you have the right person on your show. You have the right people that paid attention. And that's what got it out there to people. It's the same thing in indie film, especially in indie film. You know, these people show their, you know, showcase their films off and local film festivals trying to impress each other and other local filmmakers. And I'm not trying to you know, suspect that they're artists or their craft or they're promoting, but why did you stop there? Well, because they're like, well, no one cared about it. No, you didn't care about it. You're the only person that did not care about it because you didn't care enough to get it out there to the right people. Damn. And that's what matters. And that's what matters. And that's how you build a brand. And mind you, you know, uh, uh, I appreciate you having me on the show a lot. Trust me, I really do. Because when the interviews come up, Royal Goblin doesn't get mentioned very often. You know, they mention a film studio, and that's cool. I, I'm down for that because the people can Google it. Search that, especially industry people. That's the right people. Um, but they interview the stars of it. 
and they deserve those three boys deserve every interview they get, every every bit of recognition they get because those boys have been through hell and back, and they deserve everything they're getting. And I respect that, and I love them for what they're doing. But on that same note, they're building a brand. They're building the Hollow Club into a brand. They're, you know, and because of that, World Goblin Film is getting built into a brand. It's not about our Bradley Morris. And I'm cool with not being interviewed by, you know, Good Morning America or whoever they're, they're up for next to be interviewed. I'm okay with all that. The, what I'm blessed about is that they're loyal. You know, they, they, they stay true to the brand that we've established. They stay true. They haven't let this bit of, you know, fame and success get to their heads. They know that we're moving forward. They trust the pace that we're going. They have faith in each other, which is a big deal in this industry. A lot of people don't have that. They get frustrated and tired because it doesn't work right away. But they're seeing where this is going. And, and, I'm, and I'm proud to just be down to the ride and down to help build the brand even more. Well said. Well said. We're talking to Art Bradley you. Morris, director, producer, entertainment specialist. I mean, this guy is <laughs> a wealth of knowledge. You said something that stuck out for me, too. Um, okay. Talked about writers, producers. And then you know you, you've done both. You're also a director. Oh, yeah. I want to I want to switch our focus for a second here because you're you're a, you're a legitimate wrestling fan. It's not like the, oh the biggest fan. Yeah, the, the Valhalla Club wasn't your first foray into pro wrestling. You you've been watching your entire life, right? No, uh, yeah. Since for, I was watching, you know, sitting on my dad's lap, watching, you know, the Von Erichs in Dallas, and uh, got to see gentleman Chris Adams got his autograph when I was about six or seven. Uh, a young Jeff Jarrett, I have his autograph somewhere. But yeah, I mean, he was at WCW uh, for a half second. Um, but yeah, no, uh, well, he was at a show. I, so yeah, I'm a huge fan. Big fan. So so let me ask you this, because we hear a lot going around, and, and even with the, the latest series of the guy formerly known as Dean Ambrose, Mr. Uh, John Moxley, even through mm-hmm. his interviews that he's been doing lately, he, he's knocking the writers and he's saying it's the writer's fault and they're not giving me good stuff and it's Vince's fault because he's approving what the writers are saying and you know that's good stuff and all that talk to us about the different roles in entertainment in general amongst writers producers and then talent and and, and how does that all work there John Marshley uh, Dean Ambrose, first and foremost, I'm a huge fan of Dean Ambrose. He's actually my current favorite wrestler on, uh, I guess, uh, television. Uh, I'm a big fan of his. And I have read and I've seen and heard all the podcasts and interviews and regards to what he's doing. Um, I do believe in the entertainment industry there's a lot of uh, personalities, <laughs> so to say. Um he did say one thing that really stuck out for me um, when he had said that he told Vince that he should hire an actor to do what, you know, to do what he wants him to say. He'd be better at it. He wasn't wrong, you know, and I, I agree with how he said it. And I agree with how he felt about it. Um, professional wrestling has made a lot of evolution and changes in the last decade. In the last 20 years, I'd say, it's a whole different thing than it was in the Attitude Era. It's a different thing than it was in the New Generation or further back, you know. Uh, um, writers 
I will I will go on record saying that writers are pretty innocent in the in the grand scheme of things. And I know I'm probably gonna get a lot of feedback for that, a lot of negative feedback, but hear me out. Writers, whether it's in the entertainment industry such as studio writers, television writers, writers as in uh, professional wrestling, um, they're just doing their job. That's all they're doing. You know, I think a lot of times, I think the best analogy I can give you in regards to the film would be Spider-Man 3. Sam Raimi catches a lot of slack for that. Well, you had Peter Parker dancing like a goofball and all this stuff. I personally like Spider-Man 3 as a film, but I understand what people are talking about. Um, he was just an actor, Tobey Maguire was just an actor doing his job. The writers were just doing their job. Sam Raimi was doing his job. Everybody down the line was just doing their job, and it comes back down to what the studio wanted. This goes back to branding, like we were just discussing. The WWE is owned by Vince McMahon. He's the studio head. You have to look at that like it was Columbia Pictures, for example, with Spider-Man. Sam Rainey never wanted Venom in the Spider-Man 3 film. He never wanted that. He had a whole different story in mind. But they were like, no, Venom's really popular. We need to get Venom in this movie. So he squeezed him in. They did the best they could with what they had. Um, I can't remember the director of X-Men 3. Uh, Brett Radner, he gets a lot of swag for X-Men 3. X-Men 3 was horrible. He Half the actors left the film, you know, after Brian Singer left. He worked with what he had. This man has taken the WWE and wanted to do more of a television show out of it. Mind you, the WWE is a brand of entertainment. He even changed the name from the World Wrestling uh, Federation to WWE Entertainment. That's what it is now. He's trying to do a television show to appease wrestling fans. And writers are doing the best they can with what they have, and they're given the task. Overall, it's studio's last say in it. Well, the, the writers may be, you know, delivering crap. I don't know. I haven't read the scripts, per se, but I know that they're given this task. Okay, Dean Ambrose is a lunatic. You need to make him say crazy things. You, this is what he needs to do. They sit down and they do the job. They could be writing gold, and in the end, if the studio doesn't give the approval for that and it gets changed up, that's what happens, you know? Um, I, so I do agree with what John Moxley said about finding an actor to deliver those lines. But at the exact same time, I agree with this man for trying to build a brand and for what he has. And it's not wrong. You know, he has his own television network that you pay 10 bucks a month for, just like Netflix. You know, I'm, I'm a subscriber. You're, I know you're a subscriber. I, I, I know that he's not losing any fans off for doing what is working. Uh, I do think that people will touch more on this later if you'd like. I think that people may be unsatisfied with the product currently as is, but that's any television show that's been running for as long as WWE has. He's trying to keep something different, keep something new, and it takes, you know, and he's bringing in a writing team. And maybe that's not the way things were done traditionally, but he, as a studio, that's what he feels needs to be done right now. And until things change, it's still what the studio says. And, and you know, first of all, thank you for those, those great points because you have the experience uh, to speak to what you're speaking to, which, you know, just a sidebar, it's important for us, you know, podcasters, journalists, whatever the hell you want to call yourself, dirt sheet writer, it's important for us to reach out to people who are actually experts in these various fields on the record and hear from them what their perspective is on this stuff. 
there's too many of us who are just giving our opinions and we're not speaking to the experts. And that just, it's, it, it disgusts me, it annoys me, I'm sick of it. And that's why you see some of the things that I put on social media and what have you about it, because legitimately, I'm reaching out to TV editors, I'm reaching out to directors like you, and who's, who's a writer and a producer as well, like you, Brad. I want to go to the source and hear directly from you what's really up. Because it's all... Well, I mean, I can give you a prime example of uh, of trying to appease a studio and a company. Uh, I have I, um, I have written a pilot. Um, we're in production right now. That script has gone through about 10 changes, and I'll tell you one of the last changes I had to make. It's not even the script we're shooting now. We had an investor, and the investor had stated that he wants his product in so much of the show. I literally had to write the entire pilot to appease the investor. It's the same thing with WWE. They have sponsors. They have people. They have stockholders. They've got to make all these people happy because they're the ones paying the bill for the product. They're the ones paying the bill that you that you want. Like they are the reason why you're watching the show. They're the ones making it happen. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. So if you're not delivering on what they want, in addition to cultivating whoever your target audience is, which let's let's make no mistake about it, the WWE is tar- targeting kids. And that's yeah. why their product is 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 more of a PG product than it has been for. The last decade, at least, uh, oh, yeah. they're going after the kids. So, mm-hmm. what appealed to me twenty years ago, fifteen, twenty-five, thirty years ago, it may not appeal to me today, but that's okay. They're not targeting me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's know? right. It's like if, if Dean Ambrose says something silly and he pulls a red wagon, he, he complained about pulling a red wagon to the ring, but he's a lunatic. Mm-hmm. Him pulling the red wagon right. to the ring is, is easy for a kid to understand. Look at that crazy guy pulling the red wagon. What the hell is wrong with him? He's crazy. That's easy to understand. Oh, I, think, I think the New Day are, are great examples of what you're talking oh, yeah. about. Oh, yeah. like everyone everyone in WWE is a PG show. They're virtually, you know, and this is not a disrespect of the talent. I love the talent of WWE. I love what they do as athletes and entertainers. But working for that studio, per se, I refer to WWE as a studio and not as a company at this moment, they are cartoon characters selling action figures and selling t-shirts. That is what their product is. And, and, and they, and they all do a great job at doing just that. And I feel as though Vince McMahon and WWE in general as a company has, has, have done a fine job at delivering that product to their consumer. And I don't see anything wrong with that per se. Because it's not supposed to be for everyone. It is Mm -hmm. supposed to be primarily for who they're targeting. And then if they can grab anyone outside of that demographic, then great. That's bonus. But you don't get Mm -hmm. to be a multi-billion dollar worldwide entertainment empire making mistakes and, and, and not learning from them all the time. I mean, clearly they're doing something right. So... Yeah, I'll just say that, which which brings me to another point. Uh, on Twitter, I, you had reacted pretty strongly to a, a tweet that I had in response to this whole AEW stuff. And, you know, I pointed out that Ring of Honor has been the number two pro wrestling company in America 
and they've been that way for at least the past five-plus years, probably closer to a decade, Mm -hmm. uh, primarily because they're owned by Sinclair Broadcasting, whose Mm -hmm. penetration in the market, I mean, Sinclair Sinclair Broadcasting is is all over the nation. They're in the majority of, of of the states in the entire country. They own so many different channels. And in every single one of those states, you can find Ring of Honor at some point during the week. So their, their mm-hmm. overall pre- penetration is greater than everyone else, including TNA. TNA, you know, when they were on Spike TV, that was the closest they ever gotten to the type of penetration that Ring of Honor has on a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. They're number two. Second only is WWE. But everyone wants to talk about this, this, this new guy on the block, this AEW stuff, like Ring of Honor doesn't matter. Yeah. I, I did speak out a lot on that, uh, because I agreed so much with you. And this is coming from, this is coming from like the diehard wrestling fan that I am. Um, cause I follow a lot of, I, I, I love the Indies. I think the Indies, if you want true wrestling at its core, entertaining, athletic, you know, just fun to watch and very old school interactive, like the runouts and the, and the hill turns, you know, the Indies were sad. I think Ring of Honor. Captured so much of the true heart of wrestling, in my opinion. They, you know, and a lot of times I also say that Ring Honor was number one in my heart, was number one in my viewership. You know, I followed a lot of, uh, in the new pilot that I have written, my, one of my Z characters is named Silas. I named him actually after a Ring Honor wrestler. <laughs> you know, uh, I, 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 I'm a big fan of, you know, Ring of Honor. AEW has come out. And 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 I wish them much, you know much success. I will be watching. I'm definitely curious about what they have you know coming to TNT. Uh, I've watched some highlights from the pay per view. Uh, I think the the roster is really good. A lot of Ring of Honor guys there as well, which I noticed. Yep. Um, I mean, I I honestly feel that they've gotten some of the best you know up and coming. They got a lot of, I'm a, I'm a big fan of women's wrestling as well. So like the whole women's revolution, I was following in that before that was even a thing. Um, you know, you know, I've always been a fan of, you know, like the female competitors. I felt like they were always, you know, looked down upon in the industry up until the last, you know, I'd say decade. And I owe that, I, you know, we owe that to bring a lot of tea with Shimmer. And, you know, I truly believe that that is something that needs to be, you know, acknowledged and recognized. But I feel as though Ring of Honor is the number two show. And I feel like everyone's kind of like, you know, turning away from it because AEW has the spotlight. And and I just don't get it because if it's the TV deal, like you had mentioned, TNA has had not one, but two times that they could have been the number two show hmm. to go against WWE. That's two efforts, and they struck out both times. You know, Ring of Honor never said they were the, you know, that they were doing these competition. They offered the alternative. And I know that's what, you know, AEW is marketing as the alternative, but let's be honest. You know, Cody Rhodes hitting the throne. And they're saying these little things. And even though he's making jabs back at them, you know, at the DX uh, Hall of Fame speech. You know, I mean, they're starting to play like the WCW, WWE card. And it kind of, I guess as a fan of Ring of Honor, it bothers me because I'm like, you never acknowledge Ring of Honor, but you're making a threat out of AEW. 
I mean, how do we how do we know for sure? And I'm not predicting the future. I'm not saying that AEW won't be successful, but how do we know for sure this isn't just another you know you know TNA attempt number three? You know, I'm not saying that TNA, but you know, how do we just know this isn't like the next you know new toy to play with? Well, and and, and I don't even think we we have to to necessarily assume it's a fact that it's it's just a new toy to play with. They they haven't even had an episode on TV yet, and already they're being anointed this thing that a company that's been around over 50 years has to worry about. What? <laughs> I thank you. That is exactly my point. Exactly where I'm coming from. Um, and, and I do believe, and I do hope that that people tune in, and, and I do hope that it does. But competition's good for everyone. You know, competition will help. You know, when, you know, people don't like the Red Wagon storyline, they have the alternatives to go to, you know, and, and I feel as though that, that that's a good thing for everybody. I, I do worry about, and this is going to make me lose a lot of, <laughs> of attention and fans, but I will say that I, I, I don't want another Attitude Era. I think the Attitude Era was magic in its own way. I think it was the right type of people, the right type of place at the right time. I think the NWO at WCW was a great thing to happen. You know, I do think the Rock and Stone Cold feuds and DX, you know, I'm the biggest Shawn Michael fan in the world. Uh, I do think all that happened at just the right time for everyone that I just don't think that can happen again. Twice within our lifetime. I just don't know how it's going to happen, you know. Good luck to them. Good luck to them in, in finding sponsorships that they can sustain that's going to put the money in the bank at by and by the end of the year a system in terms mm-hmm. of let, let's not make any any bones about this the idea behind competing with somebody like WWE is that you have to bring in revenues <laughs> is that mm-hmm. at the very least makes your company profitable after you've paid all your bills you've got extra money oh, okay. and how do you make the majority of that profit it's coming off of those the ad revenue that you generate and if if oh, you're yeah. if you're busting people's heads open every week, or you're you're doing unprotected headshots when you and the owner of your mm-hmm. company owns football and soccer teams, and the CTE is a big deal in both of those industries too. Now he's got people knocking each other upside the head in the battle royal. If you're going to be doing that on TV every week, you're not going to last very long, and no one's going to advertise with you. That's true. That's true. They're going to have to go after, especially in this market, in in a very PG era that we live in now. And I don't mean just wrestling. I mean we live in a very PG society now. You know, the Attitude Era was a, was the right place at the right time. You know, we had uh, you know Jerry Springer was really really big. Uh, Howard Stern was as popular as can be. It was a different time period. You know, uh, but things cultures have changed. Movements have happened. You know, things have. You know, so finding a sponsor in the 90s, you know, to watch, you know, a bra and panties match like WWE used to have, as the great as it was, was not hard to find. Because, you know, Jerry Springer had sponsors, so it was easy to get on that market. I think I think this day and age, if they're going to go that route, they're going to have to, if they're going to be the alternative, AEW is going to be the alternative. I feel as though they need to follow a lot of the same trends that WWE is doing, but be different about it. You know, be, be be their own unique property. Don't be a clone, but be their own unique, you know, source of of entertainment. 
That's very well said. That's very well said. And, and, you know, it'll be interesting to see where they go from here. I can tell you that oh. you know, right off the bat, it may pop the fanboys on, on line. But, again, when it comes to generating those ad dollars, how are you going to do that if you're leaning towards the lowest common denominator with content that in this day and age just doesn't make sense? doesn't make sense for a guy to be gushing blood all over the place on national TV. Silly. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's silly during oh, yeah. a live event. I mean, even during oh, yeah. UFC, you don't see the kind of blood that, that Dustin Rhodes was gushing all over the place. Oh, yeah. Silly. You know, and oh, and then, then as for, you know, work environment, you know, let's discuss that. WWE has put a lot of structure on their work environment. Yeah, you do see some hot spots from here and there, but, you know, and I know that a lot of the guys are talking about they want, you know, pay-per-view level matches at Raw, you know, and I've heard a lot of talk about that on the, you know, dirt sheets and, you know, different articles in regards to that. But I'll be honest with you, you know, when you look at a product like Ring of Honor is a great example, they they do the hot spots on the daily there. You know, that's part of their appeal is to deliver these, you know, all that. As Chuck Taylor once said, all the flippy stuff, you know, <laughs> when they're delivering that type of show, you know, and, and that stream. I, I I don't know if that's something that WWE delivers on a weekly basis. So I, 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 you know, you do have your core athletes that 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 is their style and it's what they do, but it's very contained and very structured. I do like how AEW is offering their people insurance, but um, and I may be wrong in misquoting this. Uh, it's something that I read a long time ago that the reason why even Diamond Dallas Page had to quit wrestling is. But it's his insurance said they wouldn't cover him anymore if he kept wrestling. You know, so that's a real deal. And if they're covering insurance on a lot of the stuff, I'm not saying that Vince is, you know, not, you know, is, is wrong for not covering, you know, his, his talent. Because I do think these athletes deserve, you know, protection and talent for what they're doing. But I do think there needs to be a moderated, uh, like a moderated, Still, when you watch the show, I, they, I, I need to see, I think, you know, that there needs to be this level of entertainment with the level of action that can be done safely and considerably to, you know, to the talent. Like you said, with, with, with Dustin Reynolds, you know, with, with Dustin, gushing blood all over the place, you know. I mean, <laughs> that can't be a weekly occurrence. It just can't be. And, and, folks, if you hear somebody from the entertainment industry, a writer, a producer, a director, a filmmaker, like our Bradley Morris say something like that, then that should give you a little pause there. Listen, Brad, well, you, if, yeah. if, if, if anyone listening wants to reach out to you, whether it is to talk indie wrestling with you, which clearly you know a lot about, um, or to talk about branding, entertainment, film. What's the best way folks can reach out to you? Um, I suggest, because my Facebook stays pretty full, um, I suggest Twitter would be a good way to go. Uh, I am, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at rbradleymorris. That's all one word on Twitter. I'm there. You can also uh, do Royal Goblin Film with no S. There wasn't enough words to do it. So, but Royal Goblin Film at Twitter also. You can uh, contact me there. And yeah, that's, that's, uh, you can find me on Facebook, Arbelly Morris, and Instagram is Arbelly Morris. 
but I think Twitter would be the best way to reach me personally. I'm a little more active uh, on responding to messages on Twitter than I am on any on Facebook. They'll probably be ignored. Well, Brad, I'm going to hold you to uh, a, a promise here. What's that, brother? I need you to come back when your next project is ready for the world. I want the exclusive. Let's have oh, our breath and horse back. Let's have Royal, Royal Goblin Films back. And, and why don't you let us know what you're up to then so we can continue to share that with our audience because, you know, they, they've been extremely supportive of Valhalla Club and what you produced there. So I'm sure they can't wait to see what's coming down the pipe. I would be glad to be back. Dude, yeah, I'll be back anytime. You can come back just to talk wrestling anytime you want, man. His name is R. Bradley Morris. Once again, thanks for joining us, brother. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, dude. How cool was that? Just just really always great to catch up with uh, R. Bradley Morris, you know, the man behind Royal Goblin Films. And like I said, I mean, with his experience in the entertainment industry and the fact that he's a major pro wrestling fan in his own right, uh, he definitely has some pretty cool perspective. So shout out to Brad. Thanks again, brother. I, I wanted to go back to what we talked about earlier, uh, at least what I brought up earlier regarding Kota Ibushi and that match he had with Naito for New Japan Pro Wrestling at their Dominion pay-per-view. I don't know what's going on with New Japan where they insist on allowing this, this style of pro wrestling that is so detrimental to the overall health of the performers. But at some point, enough's got to be enough, man. I mean, you know, you got Shibata and, and, and you know, now Ibushi. I know Kenny Omega stated he really needed to take some time off to let his knees heal because of the rough style of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Just, you know, I don't know, man. I understand it's called strong style and all that good stuff, but when you get you dropping people on their heads and their necks, and is that really necessary in order to tell a story in pro wrestling? It's not. And listen, I'm not picking on New Japan. I, I watched that Saudi Arabian uh, pay-per-view that the WWE just put on last week. I saw that that Goldberg Undertaker match where you know, before the match Goldberg must have slammed his head against the door like he used to do when he was an active wrestler so he gave himself a concussion then he ran into the ring post and somehow cut his head open more than it already was picked the Undertaker up for a jackhammer dropped him on his head Undertaker tombstone managed to drop Goldberg on his head just you know there was a lot of sloppy moments despite the fact that I enjoyed the energy of the match um but the WWE should have stepped in. And if the referee couldn't tell, then there's something wrong with that. Because Goldberg was not quiet about the fact that he, he knocked himself out. After the match, he admitted it. He actually passed out after the match. It was hot out there. It's like 100 degrees ringside. So, the company's got to protect the talent from themselves. And they got to step in and do something about it. And I hold New Japan to the same standard because New Japan... Their entire style is this dropping people on their heads nonsense. I mean, it really is just disturbing. And what happens if Kota Ibushi is permanently blind 
Like, what do you what do you do with that? He's not making money in wrestling. The company's not making money off of him, and the fans aren't being entertained by him. Was it worth it? I don't know. I I just don't have an interest in this unsafe style of wrestling. I think it, it if you can't entertain fans while protecting yourselves and being safe in the ring, then what are you doing? Who trained you? And and what is what is the company doing? Let me know what you think, folks. I, I, hey, am I wrong? Tell me I'm wrong. I'd love to hear from you. Duke Loves Wrestling on Twitter, on Facebook. Duke Loves Wrestling at gmail.com. Let me know. Be kind to yourselves. Be kind to others. Catch you next week, all right? Take it away, Tony Schiavone. Mr. Tony Schiavone, and we're desperately out of time on Duke Loves Wrestling.